Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana news blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at Fisher City Hall, and I'm with uh, two guests, both with the Fishers Planning and Zoning Department. I have Megan Schaefer with me. She is the Director of Planning and Zoning for the City of Fishers. And I have Ross Hillary here. He's the Assistant Director of Planning and Zoning uh, for the City as well. So Megan and Ross... Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to spend a few minutes with me. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Larry. I want to just start off with a real simple question, and I think this definitely is, is up your alley here. I have seen estimates all over the place as to what the population of fishers is. I've lit, The latest one I've seen most often is 95,000. Of course, we'll know more when the census data are available, but... Uh, I'll ask Ross first. What's the best estimate you come up with what, what the population of fishers is at the, at the present time? Sure. There's, so there's a couple of things that go into that, right? We have our um, corporate limits, um, which is what the census is going to be utilizing. Um, but the city of Fishers planning jurisdiction also covers two townships, Fall Creek and Delaware. So we include those estimates in that, too. Um, and I believe in our latest um, planning uh, review of the past year. Uh, we had just reached over 100,000 um, people in the community of Fisher, so that is including the corporate limits, but then also some of those unincorporated areas in Delaware and Fall Creek. You know, Megan, that's a really interesting uh, thing that, that Ross just brought up, because even though the city has its corporate limits, and we have something else that I've, I've always been fascinated with, what they call the Swiss cheese areas of Fishers, because as Fishers expanded as a town, there were certain little pockets that just didn't want to be annexed, and rather than deal with that, uh, the, the town just kind of, you know, grew around them. There was there were a couple of huge areas over where I used to live, off Promise Road, that were, you know, definitely not in the city, but you would think so just to look at it. Uh, so uh, that does that make, I mean, even though th that is not as crossed in the corporate limits, it still does come under your jurisdiction. Yeah, so in 2006, I believe, we had an interlocal agreement with the city of Noblesville, um, who had zoning jurisdiction over some of those areas at the time. And so with that interlocal agreement, we um, really established the boundaries of our zoning jurisdiction, which included both Fall Creek Township, which we see a lot of that area is unincorporated, and then Delaware Township as well. And, and it's interesting because you go back into history, Ross, I, I uh, people take a look at certain areas, Geist is one of them, mm -hmm. where you go back and look at the historical record on the planning, a lot of it's Noblesville. Yeah, that is correct. When a homeowner will call in and ask for a plot plan, we'll go back to our research and like exactly what you just said, a lot of that will have stamps uh, from the city of Noblesville. So thankfully with that interlocal agreement um, that Megan talked about, we did a lot of good record keeping was transferred over. So we are still able to kind of serve those residents, even if their home was built under Noblesville standards. Yeah, the history is very interesting there. So I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. So when I see that 95,000 estimate, that probably is the corporate limit. So you're saying if you put in your zoning jurisdiction, it's around 100,000. Is that 
pretty accurate, Megan? Yep, that's correct. Do we know when we'll have the census data? I don't know what when we will have that census data. I would imagine later in this year. Okay, so there's no they haven't given the Census Bureau has given you no data. A, a little data has come up, but nothing as specific as the population of Fishers and Correct. other municipalities. When I uh, speaking of, of populations, when I moved to Fishers in 1991, the 1990 census put the town of Fishers population at 7,500. That's hard to imagine today, but that was the Fishers that I moved into at that time. We've now, I think, emerged as one of the largest cities in the state, not the largest by any means, but within that list of fairly large, large cities. And what I have seen change the most is what happened uh, during the Mitch Daniels administration. So I first moved here, it was rooftops. If you want to make sure that you could pay for your services as a city or a town, you wanted to make sure you had homes, you had a property tax base that could pay for those services. Then property tax caps came in. Mm -hmm. And what I kept hearing from people in your business and others was, okay, that's fine, rooftops, we need those, but if we don't get commercial development, uh, we're not going to be able to pay for even the most basic services, much less what, what we'd like to have in addition uh, to that. So I'll ask Megan first, how does that sort of change your outlook as planners when you're looking at proposals that come your way? Yeah, so that's an interesting concept. Thinking back of just the history of, I guess, zoning um, in the U.S. in general, it's been mostly exclusive, and I say that as exclusive uses, so you had your residential and you had your commercial. Um, but what we've seen recently is those have been almost intertwined. So we see more mixed use areas, and we see that people wanna live closer to these commercial areas or recreation opportunities, entertainment areas. Um, so I guess when I think about you know the commercial piece and the residential piece today, they're not as separate as they probably were um, back in the 1990s, um, just because of consumer uh, preference and trends that we're seeing. So I would say right now we are still seeing a boom of residential that hasn't stopped. Uh, I don't anticipate that to stop. Um, if I had a crystal ball, I would uh, not expect for that to stop it. Over the next 10 years, I would expect for that demand to uh, still increase. Um, and with that, any residential needs to be supported by commercial, um, just for services, you know, you need grocery stores near, people want entertainment, recreation opportunities. Um, so, so that is almost secondary to the residential piece. And, and we'll continue to see that just in a little bit different way, like I was talking about the mixed sure. uh, use we'll nodes. Get more into that in a moment, I, as far as residential. But, but you know something, Ross, I think the property tax caps kept changing the the dynamic of, of development and what sort of development you you need in any community. It wasn't just fishers. I was hearing this from, you know, people uh, all over the state. But there's that one term that Megan just used, mixed use. Now, I know what that means, but I think the public is a little fuzzy when you say mixed use. I know, like the depot out here, for example, is mixed use. You have apartments, you know, but you also have a lot of commercial on the, the ground floor. Kind of talk about mixed use and what that means and how that works in a city like Fisher's. Sure, I think that's a good point too, and just making it as easy and accessible as possible with that understanding. So really mixed use, um, the terminology comes from uh, exactly what it is, right? So um, to Megan's point about zoning used to uh, or it still is somewhat exclusive, the ability to mix those different land uses within a similar structure or, or 
a contained area. Um, I think our greatest example here is um, downtown Fishers, the Nickel Plate District, right? Um, where we have a regular zoning throughout the whole city. The Nickel Plate District has its own um, zoning. It's called the Nickel Plate uh, District Code. It is a form-based code. So um, we are more concerned um, with uh, the aesthetics and what it looks like than the actual use, right? So could we have a commercial small office in a building um, or could it be residential? From the outside, they would look fairly similar, correct? Um, but on the inside, those uses could change. Um, and in this downtown area where we require a, you know more density, um, taller buildings, that gives us the ability too to have you know first floor either offices um, or retail um, or to your point um, the spark building has an opportunity for live work lofts which was really a, a kind of a cool concept where you could have a small art gallery that faces the street but you could also um, live there at night and again both uh, those mixed-use developments downtown um, always have um, residential people involved in that right we need people to be in our downtown um, at all times so you know, Megan, I was thinking about this. I remember when these plans were put up. I remember the nickel plate uh, code was first put into place years ago. Went to a meeting on that and found that fascinating. But what Ross just said about some of the development that like Spark, where you have a commercial operation on ground floor and you have residential upstairs, that reminds me of neighborhoods in Chicago and New York where people did live in the same place where they had their businesses. This is always going back to the future in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really in um, more urban areas that you typically see that, or historically that we've seen that. Um, but I think, again, the consumer preference is just changing a bit. So we're seeing that in suburban communities in their more downtown, urban, higher dense um, districts. We're seeing more of that live-work, um, mixed-use development. Yes, and, and downtown, as you said, it has its own code. There's a, there's code that applies applies to this nickel plate district where we are right now at City Hall and the surrounding area is different than other part than Geister, Sunblessed, or you know other parts of the city. So that's that's very interesting. I'll stay with you for a minute, uh, Megan. One thing I have noticed and seen over the know, almost ten years that I've been going to various meetings around here, there's always some give and take. When developers have one idea of how a development should be, and perhaps the nearby residents have another idea of how that development should be, and there's always there's some conflict sometimes, and I, I wish I, I counted I could count on more than one hand or even both hands how many times when those disputes happen, and it's before the plan commission or the city council or the town council even before that, and somebody on the one of those bodies would say, well, go to staff and work it out. How does that happen? Tell me, I mean, without getting specific in any particular mm -hmm. situation, let's say you've got a developer here and you've got nearby residents with concerns here. How do you bring them in and how do you, how do you bridge those, those, uh, those situations? Yeah, so as the planner or the project manager of these new developments, we really are facilitators between the developer and the residents, the surrounding community. And with that, not only are we the facilitator, but we're really the technical expert in these standards and how they're applied. So it's really listening and understanding the why behind uh, the concerns of the residents and then understanding what constraints exist either on that property or within um, that developer's, you know, what their cost restraints are. Um, so some requests are going to not be able to be accommodated that's just the reality either due to the topography of the site or due to just the cost impact that what they're requesting um, would entail 
So it's just working within those constraints to try to address uh, the concerns the best that we can, but also making sure that the quality of product um, isn't impacted and it's still going to have a positive impact on the overall community. You know, Ross, I, I, when I look at these proposals, oftentimes, of course, the, the plan commission is advisory, basically, but the city council normally has the final say on these. And there's some exceptions we'll get into, but the main thing I'm getting at here is I often see the the, the staff weighs in. The staff the staff will say, well, we recommend approval, or yeah, in this case, no, we don't really recommend approval. How does that process work? I'm sure it's technical in many ways, but take, talk about the ingredients that go into that recommendation. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. Um, and, and just to piggyback on what Megan just said too, the opportunity that staff has to facilitate those conversations and working having the developer, you know, go to a neighborhood meeting um, prior to even this public meeting, right, where they were required to um, to have a discussion, um, but get to meet those neighbors, see what their concerns are, and sometimes you can you know have a good conversation with those residents and incorporate those ideas in so then you you gain additional um, people who are supportive of your project they listen to us they understand our concerns um, our concerns were, were put into their development um, and, and you know we encourage and are excited to have them as a neighbor um, from the approval standpoint um, staff uh, to Megan's point we really try our best to to be that expert and whether it's the unified development ordinance whether it's a planned unit development or whether it's the nickel plate code um, really to to dive in and to understand those standards um, and that's where we're able to make those recommendations um, from that perspective um, also as we gain feedback from residents um, we can we're able to take um, those kind of bullet points and then uh, give additional recommendations and a lot of times that's where the staff recommendations come from is from the residents uh, Megan, let me go to you here because uh, as somebody who's who geeks out on going to these meetings, you know, this is what I do um, I think people generally understand what planning and zoning are for instance if you know if something's planned commercial or residential or maybe some kind of commercial but not that kind of commercial I mean generally people understand there are zoning rules for particular parcels of land. But there are a couple of terms that I hear a lot, and I want you to kind of define those terms because they're a little bit different. What is a planned unit development, also called a PUD? Yes, great question. So a planned unit development is its own special zoning district. And they all look a little differently. So you can have multiple parcels zoned PUD, but have separate requirements. So for example, um, we have the Saxony PUD. So for the Saxony area, they have their own special zoning district with its own set of requirements separate from any development um, elsewhere in the city that only applies to that area. And we see that, and that's not something exclusive to Fishers. You see that nationwide. Um, but when someone comes to us with a new PUD ordinance, they say, okay, we want to propose this development. It's unique. And maybe it doesn't meet X, Y, and Z of your current zoning code. That's why we are requesting this special designation. And so we'll sit down with them and say, okay, you're requesting these deviations from our standards. Where are you going above and beyond um, in other areas to kind of counter that request? And so that's, we do see PUDs very often with new development, and that's, so we can get a better product in the like as an outcome so it's, it's a way of uh, not having rote rules but looking at the entire package and evaluating that is that a fair way to say it or 
Yeah, just making sure that the end product is of a higher quality um, than what we might have gotten under our standard ordinance. Let me ask this, Ross, because another term that I see a lot, text amendment. What is a text amendment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So... From what Megan just said, a PUD um, or our Unified Development Ordinance, those are codified um, directions uh, from the zoning perspective. A text amendment is when we either need to look at our EDO and amend that in some way, or if it's a PUD, um, it's a PUD that was passed, you know, in the 90s or the 2000s, you know, whether something has changed on that site, whether there's a different desired outcome, um, whether there's a different land use, we'll have to amend that document. Um, Sometimes it's just going in there and changing small things, or sometimes it's more of a repeal and replace that with the new document. So that's what a text amendment would be. Um, We'd go in to an existing document and amend that text. I want to get into something else. Let me go to Megan with this. Uh, there's a term that I hear a lot with cities. I've heard it with Carmel recently, that Carmel is quote-unquote built out, that there's little or no land left where you can build. I mean, there may be vacant land, but it may not be one where you can actually do some building. Um, and fishers, it might be built out in some places, but the, uh, the what I've been told, and I want to hear what you had to say about this, is that that northeast corridor, really, if you look at Southeastern Parkway, as it veers off of the Hamilton Town Center complex and all those uh, medical facilities there, as you head out on Southeastern Parkway on either side, that seems to be where the, the residential part of the city is growing. How, how do you just, in general terms, see that area growing in, let's say, that I think you mentioned 10 years. That mm-hmm. might be a good outlook. Uh, how do you see that? That is a really uh, great question that we are looking to tackle, um, I would say, this year. So we've got about 8% of land left to be developed. So when you say built out, um, we have 8% of land that has not been built out. That is what you would consider vacant and buildable. Not vacant because there are, it's either farmland or there's um, larger estate lots out there that have never been platted, um, have existed. for a long time, but um, 8% is still remaining to be redeveloped or developed um, again. And so what that's going to look like, we are currently, um, we have a request for proposals out for a housing study to look at the remaining land and fishers to see based on the consumer or the national trends um, with housing specifically, what that's going to look like um, over the next 10 years or 15 years or even 20 years to make sure that we can manage whatever that growth is going to look like. Because development is really in response to what demand is out there. And so we need to better understand what is the demand, where is that demand going, and then how can we facilitate development um, to benefit fishers um, in the long run. So I don't have a great answer today on that, but it's definitely a priority for us to look at over this next year. I know there was a discussion about estates. Now, I don't know much about estates. <laughs> They're pretty big. I, I did go to a party once in Carmel, and I drove around this neighborhood with these huge estates, and I thought, I, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And you know, Megan, there was a discussion at one point here in Fishers about whether Fishers wanted to develop these estate um, I don't know, groupings or neighborhoods or whatever. Uh, What is your view as to where that may or may not be going? 
I think there's a high demand for these estate lots out in East Fishers specifically, just because that's where the land is. Um, we see a lot of those lots out on Geist currently. And when I was talking about the estates before on that vacant land, those are more just the larger farmland. Mm -hmm. um, but we do see a need and a demand, and there have been new developments proposed for these platted estate lots moving forward. Um, I think people want a lot of land, um, and it's pretty peaceful out in East Fishers. There's a lot of natural resources, and so it's a, people can still have that city feel be close to not only downtown Fishers, but the larger Indy metro area, um, but still have a nice getaway. So I anticipate that demand to remain. Of course, peaceful unless you have cicadas in your neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> but it's a short-term thing, of course, as we know. It's funny, my neighborhood has almost no cicadas, and I was over by Hub and Spoke, the other night and you the, the cicadas were really loud so it depends on where you are they're not ev everywhere let me go to you uh if i can ross uh many suburban communities struggle with this whole mix of single family housing versus i guess i'll call it apartment style housing for sure. lack of a better term um those type of residential units so as we sit here today how does Fishers look, and it's, it's a mix of that kind of housing? I think to Megan's point, too, and, and hopefully we'll get some more answers with that housing study, but I think what you've seen in the past you know, five years, even in the downtown, the ability to what I would consider infill development, um, that's what we'd have, 116 towns, um, the proposed Maple Dell area um, that used to have single-family homes, or, or even um, to 116 town, it was, uh, I believe, one lot. Um, which is now served with, I believe, around 30 units. So there's an ability, too, in Fishers where if, if you want that estate feel and you want the, the, that land ability, we do offer that. Um, and we offer the single family. Um, uh, we have a, a pretty a good amount of what I would call attached residential, so that'd be your townhomes or your condos. We have that ability. And then all the way up to the multifamily, our, our downtown apartment. So I think moving forward, we'll continue to see that mix, and I think that's important too, um, just to serve the residents, just to have those multiple different residential options. You know, Megan, you were presenting the 2040 plan of the Plan Commission not long ago. And I remember a lengthy discussion about housing and this, this housing study that you referred to. There's going to be a committee looking at this in some depth. And I remember Pete Peterson wanted to take some language out of that document. And the main reason he wanted to do that, at least as, as I re recall that, and you can expand on it if you wish, was just to give that committee, that panel, enough freedom to look at everything and not to limit what uh, the committee was looking at. Talk about a little more about that study because I think whatever comes out of that committee will be very important to how housing will look in, in the future here. Yeah, so when we were meeting with the subcommittee groups for the Fisher's 2040 update, the housing subcommittee really focused on density and the type of housing and, and they also looked at affordable housing, which has also been kind of a national trend, you know, you've seen in other communities, um, I'm sure. And so they had made specific recommendations on affordable housing and housing density to be included in the comp plan. But as we took a step back and looked at kind of the larger conversation of housing and fishers, we realized that not everyone was on the same page with what all of these terms meant or with where we're at today. So we weren't starting from the same place with the information that we were all given. And so we've decided to take a step back, 
conduct this housing study, form this housing task force, which is really going to be made up of residents, leaders, and experts in the field of housing, um, to look at, okay, where are we at today? Where are we going? What do we need to do? What strategies can we implement to make sure um, that we're on the right track here? And so that's why that discussion of housing occurred at the plan commission. And I think that's smart for us to just kind of take a pause. What a great time. This is a, a great year to conduct a housing study. A lot has changed. Um, there's a lot of unknowns that we need to gather before we come up with the strategy moving forward. Let me go to, to Ross, if I can. Um, in my view, and just, just as an observer, and I'd like your take on this, one of the most powerful government entities that gets little attention is the Board of Zoning Appeals. Because uh, the zone, Board of Zoning Appeals basically makes decisions on when you can not be consistent with the zoning laws. Uh, and what uh, always fascinated me was a discussion that was happening when I was covering the town council, where one of the attorneys for the town sort of gave a speech to all the town council members saying, you know, you're your Board of Zoning Appeals is like a quasi-judicial group. They're, you're not supposed to lobby them like you would a member of the city council. That would be, it's a political job. The people in their role on the Board of Zoning Appeals are supposed to be impartial, um, almost like judges in a way, in looking at these various uh, zoning issues that come before them. Talk about the role of that Board of Zoning Appeals here in Fishers. I think that's a good point, Larry. So we actually have two uh, BZA boards. Um, so again, um, Board of Zoning Appeals, what a, uh, what a BZA is. So we have our regular Fishers one, um, and then we have Fall Creek BZA. So they would look at anything that is in Fall Creek um, area that is not part of the corporate limits. And then Fishers looks at um, all of Delaware and then Fishers, um, even within Fall Creek. And I think what's interesting too, um, to what you said is they are um, a judicial-like body and where someone, uh, a resident, um, wants something that our code does not allow or they want more of something, right? They want um, you know, more impervious surface. They, they want maybe a taller fence or something like that. And so they come to us, um, you know, we provide them with that guidance. We say we'll need a variance from our standards um, and then we'll help them along the way. Um, there's certain uh, notifications that they have to do to their neighbors and the public and in the newspaper. And then you're right, they go in front of that board, um, present their case, um, what's called a findings of fact. Um, they have to talk about, you know, why, you know, they can't meet these standards, what's unique about their about their property. Um, and this goes for both residents um, as well as commercial. Commercial buildings can also have uh, variances, whether it's from a land use or a development standard. There was a, I don't know if you two were here at the time, but it goes back a few years. There was one, I think it was a small business that had land in both Fall Creek Township and the city of Fishers. Oh, gosh. And both... <laughs> of the appeals boards had to meet at the same time. <laughs> they had to oh, meet wow. together. I was going to say, I can tell you were not here because you were looking at me like I, you'd never seen that. And that was an unusual situation where both zoning boards met and heard the appeal at the same time. And the Fall Creek one has been around for a while, but it, it's not quite as busy. They don't meet quite as often. There are fewer uh, cases that come before them. But uh, I, I always thought that was, I, I'm, I'm probably never going to see that again, and I haven't. And when I saw that that one time. Well, Larry, you, yeah, talked about, you talked about geeking out, and I would be really interested to read 
those uh, the minutes in the staff report um, just from a, <laughs> from a planner to figure out how they accomplish that. That sounds uh, sounds pretty impressive. I'm trying to remember what year it was. I'm, somebody around here probably I does bet, remember yeah. that. And you know, uh, let me ask this because you, you talked about housing and the mix and so forth. I want to go back to that for a moment. What I had always heard when people brought up housing and the mix of housing is that any community is getting to a dangerous point when a police officer or firefighter or staff member of the plan commission or the plan department cannot any longer afford to live in the community that they serve. Is that something that you think about as you look at housing? I'll let Megan start with that. Yeah, we hear that idea or I guess argument um, come up a lot and it is something to take into consideration. Um, when you think of, I mean, when you think of the cost of housing, of course you want, um, the people who are serving your community to live in your community. Um, now, if cost is one of the factors in that, then definitely something to take a look at. Um, and I think that is that does go into why we're you know com completing this housing study this year. I, there was an example. I think it was uh, Indianapolis Public Schools a few years ago. They actually bought some housing for their teachers. And very few of them took advantage of it. So I guess you have to know there's a demand for something before you try to offer it. And I, I thought, and they thought they were doing the right thing and so forth. They bought these houses. This, there were several houses in this little place. It was a nice neighborhood, but the teachers wanted to live elsewhere. So I think you have to take a look at not only what's needed, but what the public wants and what the demand is. That's also a factor, is it not? Yes, definitely. Because we hear these one-off stories about, you know, oh, you want your firefighters and your police to live here? Of course. I mean, if they want to live here, we want them to be here. No one's arguing that. It's just getting the data to actually show that that is the case. And I think that's the point we're at today. Very good. Um, I want to talk about the plan commission because I, I don't go to all their meetings. I go to some of them. Well, I felt so it's like an 11 member body. And, and uh, that was chaotic when they tried to do that on Zoom. I, I watched some of those meetings. I felt sorry for the people who were technically trying to deal with it. Uh, but they, you know, somehow those meetings uh, eventually were pulled off. And now they're back meeting in person now that we have uh, vaccinations and, and so forth available to us. But um, the plan commission is, is largely advisory. It looks at a development. The way it works, as I understand it, is it goes first reading to the city council. They look at it, maybe get a presentation, send it to plan commission. They get a more detailed idea, have a public hearing. Then it goes back to um, the city council after the plan commission um, either says yes or no, or sometimes they're split on a particular uh, proposal. Let me ask the... Let me ask Ross to talk about this. Uh, the Plan Commission is a very interesting body, and I know your department uh, deals very closely with the work that the Plan Commission does. Talk about how important that cog is in the whole uh, process of, of putting something together here. Sure. So the Plan Commission is made up of, like you said, uh, a very bodied, um, uh, appointed by the mayor, um, and there's other appointed seats on there as well um, from the townships. And I think the recommendation um, weight that they give back to city council, you know, they are they are seen in experts in their field, and, and we try to work with them on that if, if they have any questions. Um, but most recently, um, I think what was taken to the Planning Commission, uh, as we're looking at the, the airport property and how that develops, you know, the long-range plan of that, um, we did a, a bit of modification to the, the zoning district there. 
um, like you said, it went before city council and then we would take it to plan commission for their recommendation. And again, you know, they're sending it back to council with either a favorable or a, a non-favorable recommendation. And I think, um, especially in Fishers, that plan commission body uh, really does have a lot of weight and, and their recommendations uh, to council. Yeah, I know the council does look at it very seriously. Um, let me just ask as we close this up here, and I'll ask each, ask each of you to, to answer this. I'll start with Megan. Talk about some part of the work that you do in your department that most people would not know or not be aware of. Something that uh, you handle maybe uh, on a regular basis, but somebody even like me who covers it or is just a citizen out there knowing that yeah, we have a planning department, but what's something you do that most people wouldn't know about? So something that I've done, I guess, over the last two years that they may not know about is we've got the Nickel Plate Trail coming through, which is the um, former Nickel Plate Railroad. And um, with that change from being a railroad to a public trail, we've done a lot of engagement with the property owners along that trail. So a large part of what we do, although we have a separate community engagement um, department within the city of Fishers, our team does a significant amount of community engagement when it comes to new development going on. And so we met um, with individual property owners off the trail over the last two years to uh, understand where they're coming from, understand any concerns that they have. Uh, we heard uh, you know, one neighbor can be super excited about the trail and they want to connect and they can't wait for it to come through. Someone else might have some concerns with privacy and screening and, and not so excited about the trail coming through. And so um, getting out there, boots on the ground, talking to these individual homeowners, understanding where they're coming from with this new development and how we can help alleviate those concerns or how we can work together uh, may be something that um, people aren't aware that, that we're doing. And I remember talking to city city, uh, city uh Attorney Chris Greisel, he said when he was researching this, because you have to go back so far in this, these railroads, he was looking at handwritten deeds of the 1840s to try to figure this out. I can't imagine how he did that. Ross, I'm going to ask you the same question. Something that happens in your department, maybe with what you handle, and most people wouldn't know. Yeah, I would say, too, um, and both Megan and I have been, uh, have done this and being project managers on developments, too. Something that's really um, amazing about the city of Fishers uh, from a planning perspective is we'll have a development proposed. Um, we'll see it go through the process and then almost really in real time we can see it constructed and built and then utilized by our residents. Um, so I think that's so neat to see a project, you know, we'll see the, the first rendition of it, you know, maybe some parts of that didn't work out, we'll see a second rendition. And again, the, the public really only ever gets to see that final, you know, I would say near perfect development. Um, I think something that was really interesting uh, with Fisher's district was the evolution. If you go back in those documents, what you see now is was not the original vision, right? Um, so I think it's really neat just to see all that play out and to know um, all of the hands that were involved in shaping that um, uh, for the end result that our residents can enjoy. Well, I've tried to ask a few questions just based on what I observe over the years, uh, going to meetings, hearing what you all have to say. Let's see if you have anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up. Megan, I'll give you the first shot at that. I, the only thing I would add, uh, all of your questions were great, very relevant to what we're taking a look at. Um, our department it you know fishers has grown so quickly as we talked about from seven thousand uh when you first moved here to now over a hundred thousand within our planning jurisdiction and so with ross and i in this new role um, we're really taking a look at 
uh, kind of the past fishers, the present fishers, and the future fishers. And so looking at, okay, the past, how, how was that done? Um, is there anything that can be, you know, organized a little bit better or brought up to speed in the present? How are we improving our processes? And then looking at the future, making sure we're thinking of all the possible scenarios um, that, that uh, could unfold and making sure we're planning for that appropriately. So that's what Ross and I are really um, trying to look at as we take on these leadership roles for so, fishers. Ross, you get the same question. I think um, just to Megan's point about looking at the future, I'm just so excited to see everything that's been constructed and, and to build, um, you know, in the 90s, fishers did, did not have that downtown, did not have that identity, and we do now, and we're seeing that, you know, that near, and construction, right? Um, as this tunnel is about to uh, about to be constructed, the Nickel Plate Trail will come online. I'm excited to see this entire area, and I would say in the next 10 years to see, you know, how it how it has grown and how it has kind of found its footing um, and it's found its identity. I think that's what I'm most excited for um, as Megan and I kind of take on these roles and look at the future of planning um, and fishers. Yes, I like to tell this story a lot, but uh, when I first moved here in 1991, the, the town hall was in that art gallery yeah. across from the depot building. I actually went in there to conduct some kind of business, and they were just dying to get in this building. And now it looks like you're, this building is going to be torn down. <laughs> They're going to build a new one, just based on what I've heard the mayor say, just because of, well, we won't get into that. I don't know if you have any impact or if you're doing anything, any work on the new city hall or if that is if that is in your purview or not. I guess not, would it? Not at this time. Mm -hmm. um, maybe as plans develop, we'll, we'll be more involved in that, but I think it's pretty high level at on, on what direction we're going to be taking. And you just heard Megan Schaefer. She is the director of planning and zoning for the city of Fishers. And Ross Hillary also has been with us. He's the assistant director of planning and zoning here for the city of Fishers. So to both of you, thank you very much. I appreciate your taking time to talk to me today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Mm -hmm.